You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, hello, welcome back to the X-Man podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. It's been, I guess, off and on for the last few weeks. If you know, you see the title of this show, I, I guess you can get an idea of what I'm talking about today. And I, it hasn't been addressed yet on the show is that, and if you follow me on social media, then you understand that my father passed away a few weeks back and actually he passed away on the day I was actually working on my last show. So I had to like stop working on my show or I found, excuse me, I found out that he had passed away um, while I was working on, on my last show. And I mean, you know, I think it's helpful probably just to kind of talk about how it all came about uh, my father was 66 years old and he's been on this show. So if you're a fan of the show, you've, you're, you're, you're familiar with him and how amazing he is and was. And, uh, my father was really focused on health, uh, but he did drink and that was really the only bad thing he did. But other than that, he ate very healthy and was very health conscious. So I thought he'd be around a long time, uh, so it was very sudden and it was just a situation where I hadn't heard from in a few days and he had called me and, and I had, I, I'd got him a new computer, uh, last year so he could do like FaceTime and stuff. So he had always, uh, video me on Facebook to call me instead of calling me on the phone. And he called me one night and I missed his call and I called him back the next day and he, he didn't get back to me and that, but that wasn't uncommon for us to maybe play phone tag for a couple days or something. And then I messaged him maybe a day after that, and he didn't get back to me. And it just so happened to be the week that I was kind of taking a break from social media. Uh, myself and other guys in Bad Wolves were being targeted and harassed on some of the platforms. And we just felt it was a good idea just to kind of take a step back and just get off. So I was kind of, I guess, dealing with my own mental health wellness that week anyway. And I was a little disconnected because I wasn't really on, on social media and I was doing a lot of just, I guess, like what you would characterize as self-care type work. And 
and uh, the band had made a, you know, important decision. So we were kind of celebrating a little bit that, that weekend. And by Monday or even, or the night, night even before that Sunday, I, I had, I just realized I was like, man, I, I haven't heard from my dad. I'm like, this is strange. So I called people who are close to my father and said, Hey, have you heard, heard from dad? And then everyone was like three days, you know, they, they hadn't heard from him. And I was, and immediately once I, I kind of heard that I knew something was wrong and I went on a walk and I, we live right by the beach. So I was, I walked to the beach, which I usually do just to, just to walk and get some sun and get outside. And from there, I called the police to do a wellness check on my dad and, you know, just, just to check in. But I pretty much knew then, and because there was no reasonable, um, explanation as why he wouldn't get back in touch with anyone. And so it was weird because it's beautiful. It's long beach. I'm on the beach, but it was just completely, I was processing my grief then, even though I didn't know for sure. And then I called back the police like an hour later, extending to get back to me. And they said they were still investigating. So that to me was kind of definitive. And, and then they sent an officer uh, to my home in Long Beach to, to inform me. And it was, you know, it was devastating. And, uh, and it's the worst case scenario in, in, in something like that. And like I said, it was completely sudden. And so my whole world was kind of flipped upside down. I had to go to New Jersey and kind of deal with everything and deal with my dad's apartment and a funeral and my family and friends. And it was just a lot. And then there was some family drama within that, that made my life hell for a little more than a week while I was down in New Jersey. So I was in New Jersey for about two weeks. And, you know, I got back about a week ago, exactly to LA. So it's been, this whole process has been around three weeks, but my father probably died on the 25th of March and just wasn't found for a few days later. And basically it's just, it's been kind of go, 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 go with, just dealing with everything, you know, that's, I think the thing you don't really think about when you're younger, or maybe when, if you are younger, you get to just be in your feelings about it. Whereas when you're older, you have to actually deal with the business of kind of transitioning someone from a state of being to a state of non-being. And I don't know, it's been, you know, my mother died a year ago, almost exactly within the week, which is extremely eerie. And believe it or not, ever since my mom passed away, all I've thought about is my father passing away. If that makes sense, like I, or I've just thought about mortality and relatives who are getting older or maybe not old, old, but I, to some degree, my, my dad died at 66. My mom died at 69. I never felt like they got old. They were on their way to getting old, but they never felt old to me. And I guess there are, there are ways I could say that they were, but it just never hit like that in, in, 
in many ways. And I don't know, it's in, and today, so I'm recording this on the Tuesday, uh, 420. And this is also the day of, you know, the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd trial announcement for the jury, the guilty verdict. And so it's just, I don't know, I just woke up today, just kind of blah, because I've just been going, going, I'm dealing with my dad's thing, came home to LA, went right into the studio with the band, was there for a week. And I really got to kind of clear myself away from all the, I don't know. I just, I, I, I've just been kind of like going like a shark. And I think today's the first day I've just gotten to try and be normal, I guess, or yeah, just, just trying, oh, let's, let's get back to what we were doing. And it's ironic because like I said, the last day, March 29th, that's the last day I, I did a show and recorded something. So it's, it's maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why I've felt so, I mean, you could call it depression. You could call it, uh, a weight. You can call it a, I don't know. And I call it a weight. Cause for me, I get, I get stuck and I, I don't want to, I want to crawl in a hole. You know, today I had to do my other show last words and I just didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to just, I don't know. I guess I think for things like this, sometimes you, you do really need to just take time off, but I've kind of been off. I don't know. And, and you, and I remember when my mom passed away, I, I'd have these periods where I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to, to get back to work. All right. And you, and every time you think you're ready, your psyche really isn't ready. You're probably two weeks further away from where you think you are. And, and I, and I don't think I really have processed everything. And that's okay. Uh, but it's going to manifest itself in a lot of ways that I, I can't even anticipate. And, um, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm stuck between these two versions of the world. What is, what does normal look like? You know, what is getting back? What is, you know, I think when this thing, when these things happen, it, it forces you, at least for me, it's forced me to like, look at my own life and say, what do I want out of my life? Because you know what? There ain't that much fucking time. If I live to be as old as my dad, I've got 25 years left which is much less than half of the life I've lived. So it's not a lot of time. It doesn't feel like a lot of time. Maybe I guess in the grand scheme it is, but as you get older, time moves faster. And then you have something like a pandemic where you've existed in it, but you didn't, have we lived? Have we thrived? I don't know. I've done some interesting things, some cool things, but it doesn't feel like the most fully realized version of, of living. And it's interesting because my, my father did not die of, of COVID. Uh, but in many ways, I, th I feel like he was a casualty of this time because he, you know, I've talked about this a little bit before about how 
the the pandemic, you know, it 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 got forced into a culture war where people kind of instinctively burrowed into their side or their camp. And, you know, my father is was pretty demonstrative about his his left leaning politics, but I think he got in that stance of, right, I'm in the house and I'm not doing this and I'm not because obviously he was concerned about his health and getting sick and having trouble with that. But I remember talking to him and he hadn't gotten vaccinated yet. And I was trying to convince him, you know, hey, make sure you're on top of this. You're in the age group that should be able to get it. And I'm like, so you can like go back to doing things. My father's a piano teacher. And he was like, well, well I'm, he's like, I'm never going back to teaching people in their houses. I'm like, dad, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, you gotta, what are you gonna spend your whole fucking life in, in your apartment? And, you know, and I wonder if part of him was kind of resigned to that, but you're, you're always lacking. You're going to be lacking something. You need human contact. You need to be in the world. And we cannot, as me, as someone who is all about the safety and all about vaccinations and all about doing all this, this, the proper things to get bad things to normal, we also can't just live our lives in fear. Oh, something might happen. Yeah. Something might happen every day you walk out of your house. The safest place in the world is probably four padded room, <laughs> padded walls, white walls. But that's, is that life? That's confinement. So, and that, and I feel like that's happened with a few friends of mine who were, who were very much tied to the political tribalism of I'm in the, this camp where masks don't exist and vaccines don't exist. And I'm in this camp where we're never leaving our houses again. And we're, we're, it's fucking ridiculous. We're so tied into like these boxes that, Oh, I'm team this team that it's. And, and unfortunately, I don't know if fortunately or unfortunately that is kind of kind of burrowed a little bit into my thinking or feeling dealing with the, the loss of my, my parents is, and I don't know, I don't know if this sounds fucked up, but it's kind of learning from what they didn't do. And I, you know, I feel it's like my mother wanted to move to Florida and that was like a dream that was always just there on the back burner, but that she never got to quite fulfill. My father talked about moving to Malaysia because he had all these people he met on the internet and he, he liked the culture, but he never got to do it. And it's. And life is just not going to wait around for you to want to do something. And it's like, if I want to do something, I got to do it because this shit could be over, over. And I think when it comes to grief and grief, listen, I, I think grief can manif manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Right. I mean, today we have a nation and I mean, and really, a. uh, you could say the entire West or, or, or maybe the world is, is watching what was going down with the trial today. And you have this symmetry, right? Cause I remember being in uh, high school when the OJ verdict was read and everyone was there for that, or, or probably the better parallels when the LAPD police officers were let off in the case of Rodney King, which led to one of the worst riots 
or maybe the worst riot in, in LA history. And so, and this had the opposite outcome. And so it was a lot of rejoicing, but I think it also was mixed with this pain, right? This, uh, this idea, oh, well, like it, it's weird, right? Like, cause by any measure, it's what happened with the verdict is what should have happened. So I guess maybe we should feel relief or we should feel like, oh, that well, should what's supposed to happen that's happened be a cause for celebration? Does that mean everything has changed? And I'm just saying like grief represents, represents itself in a lot of ways. And I think in the most present way is trying to like preserve something that's not there, right? The, you know, you know, the, the, the seven stages of grief and last one's acceptance. And I think with my father, I accepted it even before I knew. And it was like, that time is over. And, and it just sucks. You know, he's not going to call, you know? And I think luckily I did the work as an adult to not be so dependent on that, uh, you know, that connection, right. As a, the, the, the parent to, uh, to son or daughter relationship, it's, it's like a safety blanket, you know, that's something there. And that was, I mean, I felt it the most when I moved to LA and especially being away from my dad, because my dad were really close. We'd have dinner every Sunday, you know, before I moved six years ago. And that was so tough. That was the toughest thing about moving from New Jersey to LA. And that was the thing that I always thought about of like, would I ever move back? I was like, oh, well, if only if I have to help my parents or something. But just that, oh, there's a 3,000 mile gap. So that was just the power of that, of like physically, right? That physical, like my parents aren't there. And it's, and once you get to that age, right? When I'm 35, my dad's 60, it becomes a little more about you're not there for them as much as they're there for you. But, but they're, that, idea of being a child to some degree and they being, being there for you, uh, it still, it still exists. And, um, so it's something I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to manifest. You know, I hope it manifests somehow in maybe some creative work or art or expression. And even this part of this, this show, you know, I was supposed to go with another show that ended up having to push back and I could have did something else, but I was like, you know what? This is the fucking elephant in the room and it needs to be talked about. And what I owe to my audience is authenticity. That's all that really matters because I, I go, not that I go, I, we, I, I, and we, we all exist, especially all these fucking virtual spaces. And what I, I experienced when I was taking that break from social media, and the only reason I even got back on was so that I could inform people about my dad's passing. And now I've kind of got back in some of those old habits, but it made me think about that. I don't think one can actually be authentic in social media spaces. And the reason why is because it's all based on the idea of some type of response or validation, right? So if, so if any of us 
do a post, right? And it gets zero likes, zero comments. I think we inherently kind of feel like we're invisible. We're not heard. We need that ping pong of expression, acknowledgement of expression. I'm validated as a human being. My, maybe my feelings are, are validated or, or even if maybe you're a troll. And so just by someone, you say something, you piss someone off and they, they attack you. That's its own form of validation. And because of that, every act, every picture you post on Instagram, every tweet, every everything is a performance. We're always fucking performing all the time. And there's something like, even me just thinking about it, it's actually almost making me physically ill right now. And I don't know how to exist in those spaces without falling prey to that because I have all of the human stuff that we all have, which is a need to be recognized, a need to feel like we're not alone and use these tools to hopefully feel less alone. But sometimes we gotta look at ourselves and say, who, who are we? Why are you doing things? Why am I doing things just for other people? Why can't I have my own moments? And in the space I work in as a musician, as an entertainer, my job is to entertain. I think I'm good at it. This show is entertainment, right? This show is content. How do we know that this is authentically me? I don't know, but some is this thing we think we know, but right. This could, this is in itself is a performance, right? Anything you put out there, it becomes that right. The only true fucking artist is the person that paints a painting or writes a poem and sticks it in their fucking closet and no one ever sees it. That's probably the only true art because it doesn't need to be validated. It doesn't need to be commodified. It doesn't need to be turned into a performance. And that's something I'm really struggling with because when you get away from it all and then you see people that you're friends with, family with, and you see them stuck in this cycle of fucking outrage and, uh, needing to comment on everything that ever, ever happened. And they're so invested in things that if you shut it off, it's like, it doesn't even fucking exist. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the sound talent media podcast network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights 
into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. And even that goes for for news, like what 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 happened today with the, with the trial. And I know that is it's not what people want to hear. I didn't comment at all because I know I feel like that's part of the performance. Let me communicate to the world that I'm such a good person because I believe this thing or I support this cause or I'm with these people. And it's just kind of. I don't connect to it in the same way other people do. And and it's probably a little more callous. It's a little more disconnected. But I think the only way you can be fucking sane now is to be slightly disconnected. Like we're at its at its heart, I believe empathy is a very powerful and important tool for human connection and human understanding and and being a, a well-rounded kind of more moral figure. But what we've done is our empathy, it gets hijacked every day by these tools and you're being told what you should be angry about, what you should be sad about. And more often than not, it's not things that are tactile. It's something that's happening across the globe or in another city or, and you, and you tend to forget how, how big the fucking world is. Like I'm in California, like it's far from here to Minneapolis. Like if you had to walk it, <laughs> that's the funny thing about planes and cars and even the internet, right? It's like, boom, I'm, I'm there. I'm in Minneapolis, but you're not. And there's so much bad shit that happens that if you're connected to every bad thing, if you're glued to your Twitter, you're glued to a new newsfeed, you're glued to CNN. And they, these are mechanisms that it, within a capitalist society, they only function through making a profit and to make profit, they have to sell advertising or they have to get subscribers. And so that means they have to do the thing that gets the most attention and yada, yada, yada. It's not, this is not, nothing new, but What's more important, being sane or being the most informed or being the most uh, empathically connected to whatever is going on that week or that day or that hour? I mean, this shit happens so quick. I can't keep up with the things people are mad about. Like people like, I guess the uh, Oakland Raiders posted like, I can, like we, I can breathe. They posted that and everyone got flipped out about it. It's like, dude, they're... They're trying their best. <laughs> I mean, people don't get the words right sometimes. I don't know. That's what you're going to be pissed off about. But we got to be pissed off about something. 
But it's weird. You shut it all off and all of a sudden you're not pissed off anymore. And you don't, oh, why was I pissed off? I don't know because I went to the place. I went to the fucking, you know, mule kicks you in the dick contest. And I kept getting kicked in the dick and I wondered why I was in pain. And it's, and, and, and everything that happened with the band on social media before this, where we, the band guys and the band were being harassed and targeted. It, it made me just say like, is this, is this worth it? You know? And yeah, I don't. I just, it made me just want to like disappear, get away. You know, what's the price of your sanity? What's the price of your mental health, your emotional health? And it made me not want to talk about politics as much or at all, at least not now. So why am I really making a difference? Me, my, my two cents, I'm sure I might influence some people or maybe enlighten some people or I do. I always, I've always felt it's not worth being said unless you're bringing something new to the conversation. That's that was my philosophy when I wrote. It's like, okay, what what are you saying that someone else isn't saying? Right? This is why I don't I generally tend not to post about holidays or I don't always post when someone famous dies because it's like, well, what are you saying that hasn't already been said? And th- this where we're at with this stuff is just fucking it sucks it really really sucks because people impose things on you that you don't even put out there yourself they just put you like i said they put you in that little you're on this team and this team like who said i was on that team where did you where did you hear that they 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 don't know they're just stuck they're stuck in a fucking loop so it's it's no reason every fucking week there's a new Groundhog Day movie, right? Where the day repeats. There's one of those new movies every every two months. Now, because that's what that's what we're all doing. We're just on a, all on a fucking loop, doing the same shit, making the same mistakes, and then wondering why we're not happy. And we don't break the cycle. And I've gone back and forth so many different times with this particular situation because it, you know, what it blew up last summer, the, the protest, and then that turned into riots and turned to looting. And even though 90% of it was, or maybe more was, was positive, but I think the fallacy of it is, is putting our eggs in, in baskets that are like individual, like individual situations right like i don't think this one person's tragedy is necessarily going to either solve the problems or create what people think they want out of it but i could be wrong and i and i hope that's just not me being cynical and i think of course you get older you become less idealistic or less active you know activated and what I, what I think the problem is, I think people's expectations are misaligned and their expectations are this should, there should be no one that is killed by the police. 
or no black people killed by the police. And I'm like, oh, so, so the goal is zero. I'm not saying it's not a good goal. I'm just saying, well, how do you do that? Well, we do that is get the, the, the cops can't have guns. It's got to be like you're in France or some shit. That's it. Because what I'm saying is if you're going to be emotionally wired into situations that with people you don't know, right? That is a fucking, that is a, as an empathic weight that you're going to carry around. Like every time something happens, oh, this, so I live in LA, but oh, something happens in Ohio and I'm emotionally invested. Something happens over here. I'm emotionally, how can you do that and actually live your life unless that's your full-time job? Because it's going to keep happening. And I think that's what I think worries me about is like people's misaligned expectations about what they, what is a reasonable outcome that they think will be acceptable. Cause I don't think the, the, the reality of the world comports with those expectations. And so that to me, is going to lead to a lot of disappointed people, a lot of angry people. And I don't know how it's going to manifest. So, you know, sorry, I know, um, uh, it kind of changed from what I was talking about with, with my with my father and my parents to this, but I think I'm grieving. I think the world's grieving in their own kind of ways. We're at the tail end of this this pandemic, at least in America. There's two months behind us in Europe. I'm just hearing they have record numbers in in India. So every, everyone's at different places with this, but in America, where we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm just I see. I think a lot of people and listening, I think you put myself in this boat that do not know kind of what normal to get back to. Some people are like, yep, this is my new life up in my basement, up uh, streaming. And that's, that really kind of scares me because I do want to get back to something like the way it was before. I would like that personally. So how am I dealing with grief? Uh, one day at a time. And that involves accepting realities. That's what dealing with grief is just accepting realities. You don't have to be happy with it. Um, you don't have to prefer it, but it is seeing the world as it is, not the way you wish it to be. That's maturity. And, uh, you know, and I just want to be someone whose life is not dominated by fear. And, and I want to make, you know, I, I, I got to make my bucket list now. I'm 40 years old. I need a bucket list now. And I need to start knocking them out because there's a lot of shit I want to do. And I've realized now more than ever, there is nothing worth staying in a situation that you're not happy with nothing. And if you're willing to sacrifice yourself for maybe someone else or an environment, I, I get it. Everyone's lot in life is different. Some people have responsibilities that I don't have. So, you know, I definitely don't want to put that in on anyone else. We all have what we're dealing with, but I feel like I'm in a privileged position that I can, can pursue whatever I want at kind of my heart's desire. And that's, uh, that makes me really, really lucky. 
not everyone has that opportunity. So if I have that luck, if I have that, those opportunities, I got to take advantage of it. There's nothing stopping me, nothing except will and fear and effort. That's it. So that's what I'll take with that. And I'll hopefully, hopefully just sharing that with, with everyone listening to the show. Maybe it's a little helpful. You, you've lost someone. I mean, we, we've lost so many people in this last year. And like I said, and if it wasn't directly to COVID, it was situations like my dad, where I feel like if it wasn't this time, he, maybe he wouldn't have been home alone. Maybe he would have had someone, Hey, Kev, you're do you know, with his habits or whatever. So I think he's a casualty and we've, most of us is probably if we, we haven't, we don't know someone directly. We know someone who knows someone or we lost our lifestyle. We lost our way. We make a living. We, I mean, we lost a lot. So we all got to deal with that, but we got to accept the way it is and figure out how to get better, figure out how to move forward. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but there's no shortcuts one day at a time. You can't just go, Oh, I'm fine. I'm better. That's not how it works. It's just gonna, it'll hit you when it hits you. And I'm a firm believer that death is a part of life. Uh, the hardest thing for me was to almost dealing with other people's pain relating to me, you know, more so than my own pain, which is, is what it is. And it hits me when I least expect it and it, it, and it hits me in waves and it's crazy. So <sighs> but I thought it was really important to share this with all the listeners of the show, because I've been absent two out of the last three weeks and I was damn near going to cancel another show. And I, I didn't want to do that. And I, and I had to talk about it and I, I don't think this would fit in the intro of another show. So that's what this is. So thank you guys for, for listening. I, uh, I appreciate having this outlet and I appreciate people that get something out of this show. It's, it's a lot of work and a lot of effort. And I, I handle it with care. I try to do the best I can to provide the listeners with something that's entertaining and enriching and informative and connective and human. And that's it. And authentic. I'm trying to fucking, yo, everywhere I go, it's something or someone encouraging me. And I feel like everyone else to not be who they are. And I, that's, and I think that's maybe that's, that that's at the top of my bucket list is find out who I think I know who I am, but you know, how do I express that in the most real way possible? And hopefully this can be a case of not when keeping it real goes wrong, <laughs> maybe uh, when being true to our most authentic self goes correctly, it manifests itself in amazing ways because you're not living with fear of something, whether that's fear of not making money or fear of not being accepted or fear of not being loved or fear of losing. And I think that's, that's the thing. I don't want to live my life trying not to lose. And that's been the big lesson for me. 
don't just play not to lose. Don't don't, don't play to <sighs> for something too far down the pike. So, all right. Well, listen, everyone have a great week. Hopefully this hasn't been too um, somber, but life hits you that way sometimes. And uh, I just appreciate everyone here and you guys take care and I'll be back next week with a more normal X-Man experience. So thank you guys for listening and Mamba's out.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.